Oh, we're, there we go. Well, good morning. And I, I got to tell you something. I, I love the church. I mean, I, I love our church and everything, and I love the people and stuff, but I, I really do love the church. I mean, wh- where else can you go? It, it, it's a place where really, when you think about it, there should be no strangers in church. Um, that we, we all come here, we're all from different backgrounds and everything, but we're all tied together by the single thought and the single idea that we all need a Savior, and Jesus is it that we all get to come together like that. And we get to share our joys and we, and we laugh and we get to share our sorrows together. And I just don't think there's anything like the church anywhere else in the world. I don't think man could create anything like this whatsoever. And, and the truth is, if you're looking for the perfect church, um, this ain't it. I'm just <laughs> I'm going to tell you. And, and we aren't going to see it this side of glory. I mean, there, there really isn't a perfect church. Um, <coughs> there, there's one. And Jesus is the head of it, and when he's in charge completely and I'm out of a job, then you'll be at perfect church. Um, but, <coughs> but until then, just understand that I think so often we look for that like perfect church that has everything that exactly the way we want it. But the truth is, is God created this beautiful thing called the church, and then he put it in the hands of people like me. And so there's, there's going to be issues. But I love the church, and, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't always love the church. I mean, there, I don't know about you, there have been times where the church has annoyed me, um, it, it has let me down. I've, I've been frustrated with it. When I started ministry, I started purposely in a parachurch organization outside of the church, thinking, like, I'm going to work out here because I can't deal with all that stuff. For nearly eight years, I was in an organization like that. And over those eight years, God just made me fall in love once again with his church and, and with his people. And I can't think of any better place to be um, on any day. Than, than with a group of people that, that uh, all come together for the simple reason, man, we just want to see God and experience God and, and everything. And so wherever you're at this morning, I'm just, uh, listen, you may not be glad you're here. I am. <laughs> I, I'm excited that you're here. I'm excited that we, we get to continue <coughs> this study as we're looking at the idea of being a different church. And again, I've said this last couple of weeks, I want to remind you, when we talk about church, we're talking about us, not these walls. Nowhere in the Bible does it say the church's walls. It always says ecclesia, the gathering of people together. It has always been the people. We are the church. And if we're not the church out there, we can never be the church in here. And so it's all about, it's, it's about people. And so as we talk about this idea of being different, which I think that's what God has called us to be. I, I don't understand when people say, I follow Jesus and I go to church and I do this. And there's no difference in their life from someone that says there's no, they don't follow. It doesn't make sense to me that we should be different, that we should be different in the way we act and we approach things and we think of things and, and, and everything. People should be able to look at us and say, there's something different because Christ has made us different. And, and so that, that's the point of this. And so I just want to um, r- remind you where we're talking about. We're talking about the seven churches in Revelation. Um, <coughs> and this is modern day Turkey. And again, none of these churches exist today. And that, that breaks my heart, and, and I think about and I think about the st- um, statistics today of like churches closing and everything. And I just believe that if we do church the way God intended us to do church, there's nothing, nothing that can come against us. I mean, that, that's what Jesus told Peter when, when Peter when they asked he asked Peter, "Who do you say that I am?" He says, "You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are God in flesh here." 
And Jesus said, on that statement, on that belief, and that foundation, not even the gates of hell will prevail against it. And so I, I believe that if we are doing church the way God intended us to do church, that we will always be around. And so we, we've talked about Ephesus, we've talked about Smyrna and Pergamon. Today we're going to talk about um, Thyatira. And, and I'm excited. Um, this is a really interesting, and there's a lot to unpack this morning with Thyatira. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, we have them available for you. They're kind of spread out. You can grab one if you don't own one or, or you left one um, wherever you live and you're just down here for the winter. Take one of those, put your name in it, you can have it. Um, if you like electronic devices and, and everything and page turning is hard for you, um, I'm kidding because I love my tablets and stuff. But, but if you have that, you can actually sign into our Wi-Fi. It says GBC Guest. Just type in Find More, all lower caption. You can follow along um, there. But um, we, we got kind of a long passage this morning. But again, as I always say, the only words that make any difference and matter this morning are these words. Um, th this is the only reason I get to stand up here every Sunday because of these words. This is the authority. This is what this church, this is what my life, this is everything is based upon these. And so out of respect and acknowledgement of those words, I'm going to ask if you would just stand with me as we read this passage. Starting in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18, <coughs> John writes, he says, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the words of the Son of God, whose eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze, burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patience and endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual morality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of their works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say... I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, as when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you this morning. God, I thank you that we didn't have to ask you to show up this morning, that you were here waiting for us. God, I thank you that you knew before the foundation of the world every person that would be here this morning. God, you, knew, you know exactly what needs to be said. You know exactly what needs to be done. God, you know the things that need to change and the things that we need to hold on to. So, Father, we simply ask this morning, would you just have your way? God, would you speak through me? God, may these words be your words, not mine. God, may you use them to encourage us, to challenge us, to change us. And God, as, as the scripture says, God, let us have ears to hear. But God, give us hearts to respond also. Give us the courage to live it out. And may we walk out of here today different because we were in your presence. God, would you do a work in such a way 
that you're the only one that can get credit for it. We will be sure to give you all the praise and all the glory. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So as I said, man, there's a lot, a lot to unpack in, in, in this passage. But I want to give you a little background of, of, of Thyatira uh, um, itself. Um, the truth is, is we really do not know a lot about this town. And so we, we don't know an awful lot about it. There's not a lot of historical record. There's not a lot of like archaeological record and stuff. There are a few things. There are a few things that we do know. Um, first of all, that it was known for its trade guilds. Like they had, um, there's some historians that say it had more trade guilds than any other city in, in all of Asia. And all a trade guild is, it was, it was the union. Um, it, it was the people, it was like, you know, the, the tent makers or, or the people that did dyeing. Or they didn't, so they had all kinds of the, the wool weavers and, and the ironsmiths and all of them. So they had trade guilds everywhere um, around him. In fact, um, I- if you remember the lady Lydia from Acts, the one that Paul met, um, with the purple dye and everything, she came from Thyatira. And so it was, it was a very commercial city. It was kind of a blue-collar city. This is where people, like, they worked and stuff. They were in the unions and, and, and everything. You know, I kind of I picture, like, an idea of, like, a Pittsburgh, you know, back in the day with the steel mills and everything, or, you know, like a Detroit or something with all the car and the unions and everyone, you know, everyone works at the factory, and everyone's part of this union or that union or this moose lodge or that moose lodge. I mean, they were all kind of set up like that. But th- it's really interesting to me also that this is the smallest city in all of these cities that we're talking about, it is the smallest, most innocuous little town. Um, it's probably the smallest church. But out of all these seven churches, the most is said about this church. Wh- which, which reminds me, the things that we count as valuable and what we put value in, as in like big church and, and big budgets and all this stuff, God has a different value system. That it's not how big you are, it's how faithful you are. You know, it's not how great you are or how, how many buildings or budgets you have. It's about what are you doing for his kingdom. And, and so, so we're reminded in this little tiny city that what God values is not always what men value, but what God values is always the most important. And so that's, that's kind of Thyatira. And so that's what we're doing. And that, that's where everyone is living in. And and in this town, the, the, the church and the Christians are trying to, just normal blue-collar workers are trying to get by and everything. And I love how the greeting is, how Jesus greets um, this church. Turn back to verse 18. Verse 18 and 19, how Jesus greets this church. And it says in verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God. Who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance and that your latter works exceed the first. I, I love that Jesus makes no doubt in who he's t- who's talking to them. Right there. In fact, this is the only time in all these churches that he actually uses that title son of God. It's like he wants to make sure you need to understand exactly what I'm saying to you and who is is saying it to you. There's no doubt. And I believe that if we are paying attention wherever we're at, that when God speaks, God makes it clear that it's God. If you ever run into anything that you're like, I think this is God, it may not be God, there's a surefire way to test it out. Does it match what's in this book? See, because God 
Jesus will never, ever speak contrary to what's in these words. And so we talked a little bit about that um, last week, that, you know, the authority of this word and how a lot of churches, as we've kind of stepped away from the authority of this word, where, where Jesus very clearly says, heaven and earth are going to pass away. These words will remain. But, but I love that he says, no, listen, I want you to be sure you know who's talking to you. And not only that, it says, you know, he has eyes like a flame of fire. I see everything. Do you ever feel like you're hiding things from God? Like, oh, God didn't see that. <laughs> Ain't true. <laughs> it, 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 it's not true. In fact, in my life, it is humbling to me to know that God knows everything I've ever done, ever thought, ever said, and yet he loves me anyway. Because he, he sees all. And it says, whose feet are like burnished bronze. And that's really interesting to me. Because also, back then, in, one of the ways that you stopped an army from marching is you put spikes in the ground. And so the soldiers that could afford it would get copper shoes or bronze shoes so that they could step over the spikes. So nothing would stop the forward movement. And I love that Jesus says, my feet are like burnished bronze. There's nothing that's going to stop me from moving forward to um, fulfilling God's plan and God's will. I don't care what the world says out there. I don't care what anybody tells you. Nothing is going to stop Jesus from completing the work that he started in us and from completing the work that he started on this planet. Nothing's going to stop. He keeps moving forward. And even in that with Thyatira, with all the other stuff, he says, I know your works. I know your love and faith and service. I know that you, you've been doing things, and, and, and I see the outward action. Now, I, I just want we are not saved by works. You and I will never be good enough to earn our way into a relationship with God. It is a gift. It is grace, and it is beautiful. But because of that grace, our lives should start acting like we've received that grace. And he says, I know your works. A church that isn't doing anything a mission to further the kingdom. If a church isn't in a mind that says, hey, how do we plant more churches? How do we get missionaries? How do we reach everybody around? I'm going to tell you right now, it cannot be called a church. At the very heart of the church, we carry the gospel, and the gospel is never meant to stay inside the walls of the church. The gospel is meant to go everywhere else and to change the world. And so he says, I know your works. I, I know your love, your faith, your service, your patient endurance. And that you're growing. Your latter works to see the first. That you're doing even greater things now. Man, what, what a challenge to us as believers. You know, and, and, and I, I believe this this morning. And, and I'm more and more convinced of that. If you can look at your life where you're at right now. And think where you were a year ago today. And there's no difference in you. There's no change. There's no growth. There's more looking more like Jesus. Then there is a serious problem. Because I think we are always supposed to grow. And do more. We're supposed to experience more and understand more and look more like Jesus. And so if, in your life, if, if you're saying, man, I look the same as when I first like prayed a prayer or I first went to church and nothing's ever changed. Let's talk. <laughs> because we're not meant to be that way. See, one of the things I love about God is that God loves us enough to meet us where we're at. We don't have to clean ourselves up. We don't have to fix ourselves or do anything to know God. He meets us right there, but he loves us enough not to leave us there. We're never supposed to just kind of just sit there and be stagnant, you know. Could you imagine? My daughter got married yesterday. She was not in a diaper sucking on a bottle. <laughs> she was an adult. There would have been a huge problem at, at 27 if she was still like, Mommy and Daddy feed me. and take. Well, there were still times like that, you know, because that's just, 
she lived with us for a while. We took care of her. But, I mean, there had been a problem. You know, if you're looking at your kid and they're like 20 and they're still in diapers, we need to talk. <laughs> We're missing something. There's supposed to be growth. And it's the same in our faith. We should be growing. Every year we should look more and more like Jesus. And so Jesus, he tells them, like, I see this in you. I see this in you. But even with that, I have this against you. There's, there's a problem in here. And this is where I want to sit because I don't want us ever to be a people or a church that gets stuck in these things um, and, and start disqualifying ourselves. And I think there's a couple of things, and there's one thing that I've just, God has just laid on my heart this week that I haven't seen any theologian write about in this passage, and we'll, we'll get to that. But, but there are friction and there are fractures in this little tiny church. And so look at verse 20. Starting at verse 20, he says, But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual morality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you according to your works. We'll stop there. Um, there's a lot to unpack in there, and that just doesn't sound like really good news this morning, does it? You're like, oh, great, Pastor. We're Jezebel. No, no, you, you're, you're not. In fact, I don't really believe anybody actually, their name, they're talking about a real person, Jezebel, in here. Because if you don't know the history and the story, Jezebel was the wife of Ahab, probably the worst king that Israel ever had. Jezebel is the one that turned all of Israel into like false worship and into false sacrifice and, and into all these other false gods and, and temple prostitution. And you just name the horrible thing, Jezebel was dead. And so all through the rest of the Bible, Jezebel was kind of symbolic for wickedness. And so no Jewish person in their right mind would look at their daughter and say, oh, we're going to call her Jezebel. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's horrible. I mean, names aren't as big a deal. And so just in case, like, you have grandkids or you have kids, don't name them Jezebel. Okay, it's just a bad name. It's been marked out of the top names forever and stuff. But it's just this idea that there's this person bringing in um, wickedness and everything. And as I told you, this was a city that was known for trade guilds. And if you don't know a lot about the trade guilds, what would happen is each trade guild, each little union had its own little god. They had their own little thing. They would have parties and they would sacrifice and everything. But to work in Thyatira, you had to belong to one of these trade guilds. You had to be part of one of the unions. You know, I, I worked at Disney for a little while, and I remember I was just, you know, part-time there, and I sat there, and, and they're like, hey, we have unions, but you don't have to be a part of the union and everything. It's your choice. But then all the management people left, and these union people came in, and they said, yeah, you don't have to be part of the union, but it may be good for you. <laughs> you know, and I'm sitting there going, this is a mafia movie. I'm joining the union. Because I'm scared that there's going to be a horse head in my bed somewhere. I don't know what's going on. But, but I mean, but that, there was, that, I didn't have to join you. The state of Florida is a non-union state, uh, thank God, because, you know, I'm not against unions. I just think a lot of them have overstepped their boundaries and overstepped their power and did more harm than good. But in Thyatira, you had to be part of union. So imagine you want to provide for your family. 
and you have to do a trade, and you're a follower of the Christ, and you're in this church, you still have to be part of the union. Which means, like, man, you do what we all do. And so there's this sense that this person was pushing others to conform. Listen, just, just get by, conform. And how often do we do that? You know, it's tax season. How often, like, I don't really have to claim that, and I can claim this. And, you know, my daughter looked at me. She came down, my youngest came down for the wedding. She's like, Dad, help me with my taxes. And I'm like, okay, I'll sit down. Last time, I'm going to show you how to do this. She's like, you know, I have a dog. And I love that dog. I should be able to claim that as a dependent. I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you can't. But it's my baby. I'm like, no. But how many times do, have we seen people like skimp and like conform? Well, you know, everybody's doing it. You know, it's okay if I kind of like slide in. But the problem is, is we are created to be different. When we come to Christ, it changes everything in us. And we're told that we're not supposed to look like people. In fact, that's what Paul writes about in Romans, in Romans 12, too. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is the good, acceptable, and perfect. See, we're supposed to be different. We're not supposed to skimp on our taxes. We're not supposed to do all this other stuff. We're supposed to like follow the laws as long as they follow God's guidelines. Listen, we have laws that don't follow God's guidelines, and I have no problem saying, you know what, I don't believe in abortion. And I don't care what the Supreme Court says, because my God defines everything about relationships and all this stuff. But I'm still going to live within the parameters of that, and I'm going to be a good citizen for that. When I was a youth pastor, my biggest pet peeve with students, and I would tell them every year, I said, listen... I love that you say you follow Jesus, but if you go into your classrooms and you talk back to your teachers and you're lazy and you don't do your homeworks, I'm going to come down, I'm going to rip that Christian t-shirt off your body. I'm going to grab you by the back of the neck, drag you outside, and I'm going to reintroduce you to Jesus in a very personal way because I'm tired of people saying, I follow Jesus and not looking anything like Jesus. See, we are called to be different. See, I think... I think if you're a follower of Christ, you should be the best worker in your, in your company. I, I think you're the one that should be counted. If you're a Christian, if you're a student, I think you should be the best student. I'm not saying you have to get straight A's. If you're capable of do that, get straight A's. Don't be lazy. But you do your very best. We should be the one that people look at and says, I know I can count on that person. I just started working at Universal. I'm going through, like, orientation and all this stuff, and we know people, and they're all like, my, I have socks older than most of the people that work at Universal, so it's kind of funny <laughs> and stuff. And there's one girl, uh, it was my daughter's maid of honor. It's her best friend. She's like a manager up there, and she's like, hey, when, when you get into your orientation, drop my name. And, you know, if you really want to hide from stuff like that, I was looking, I said, what kind of testimony would that be for me? <laughs> I don't want to drop your name. I'm going to earn my way. And we need to teach our kids this again. And we need to pass that on. And so we don't conform to this world. I know it's hard in this pressure. But God says, I'll take care of you if you trust me. See, because there's only two ways to do things in life, y'all. There's our way, and every time that leads to bondage and imprisonment. And there's God's way, and it leads to freedom every time. And so we don't conform. And so that's kind of what was, I think was happening here. It was, it was this idea that, hey, we're, let's just kind of fit in. And how hard that must have been. You know, we give these churches a lot of time a hard time. It's like, man, they're so stupid. I'd never do that. Really? 
It's like when, when I was teaching one time on idolatry and says, we don't have idols. I don't have one statue, one statue in my living room. We don't pray to anything. I says, yeah, are you going to be at church tonight? Because it's the Super Bowl. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, we have entire coliseums of people worshiping people that, frankly, don't deserve it. So it's still around, y'all. It's still around, church. And so we don't conform. We, we stand out. And sometimes, I'm telling you, that's hard. Sometimes that's going to bring ridicule. Sometimes that's going to, people that say they're your friends say, well, I can't be your friend anymore. Well, can I tell you what I used to tell my daughters? They were never your friend in the first place. This is why I love the church. Because we can all come from different places and we're all trying to do the same thing. And it doesn't matter what they say out there. And it matters for us, loving one another, supporting one another. And so, so, so there, there was that. But there's another thing in here that just weighs heavy on my heart. You know, it, it talks about this lady Jezebel, who calls herself a prophet, is, is teaching. And of course, you know, they had this stuff. The, there was so much idol worship and eating foods. And, and back then, idol worship in the temples, there was prostitution. There was a bunch of sexual morality. And, and everything but there's there's another thing that this lady got in the church whoever she is and she started making little factions listen to my teaching listen 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 to what 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 i'm doing and, and there were divisions in this church and i think if there's anything that causes god greater heartache and probably makes him angry at the church it is a church that is disunified it is a church that has factions and fractures all in it because there's people there have been more church plants because a church splits than people actually going somewhere and planting a church and that's ridiculous to me i've been in those churches i've seen those churches where like you put blue carpet we wanted red we're starting a new church <laughs> i'm like good luck <laughs> you know those people are sitting in my seat, and I understand we have things that, that are comfort for us. We like where we sit, and we like our music, and we like we have preferences, and preferences aren't bad as long as you don't bring them in the church because when we come in here, it's not about you and me. It's about him, and it's about the gospel, and so it's not ever about our preferences, and so I believe the only thing that Jesus ever said that was for the evangelism, the only the only program he set in place, the strategy that he set in place to reach the world for the gospel, to make a true difference, is the unity of the church. And to me, when I read this, I see disunity, and I wonder, is this, I think, more than the idolatry and everything else, that God looked at that, and that's why it sounds so harsh, the judgment. Because I think God and Jesus take his church very seriously. It is it is his bride. And he doesn't want anything soiling his bride. And the biggest thing that is soiling our church today is disunity. In fact, that's, that's what Jesus prayed in the great high priestly prayer in John 17. When he prays for his disciples, he prays for everything that's about to happen. And then he prays for you and me. Did you know that? I love that. In John 17, verse 20, it says, I do not ask for these only, my disciples and these have been, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. Us. 
that they may all be one just as you, Father, and me, and I knew that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. If we want the world to see Jesus, we have to be a church that is together. It is so important. And, and I understand um, I, I understand that there's a lot of people that have been hurt by church, been disappointed by the church. And I, I, on, on behalf of the church, I just want to say I'm sorry. We are sinful people. We need grace just as much as you as pastors and people that have let you down. I'm sorry for that. But we are called to be together. It, it, it's one of the things, we, we do something that's kind of old-fashioned here. We, we do membership, and, and the problem is, is we have so messed up that word, membership. Our, our culture says membership is like I join a country club, or I join, you know, uh, I join the Moose Lodge, or I join like a group, a fraternal or maternal group, and stuff like that, and then I have benefits and, and all this stuff. When, when God talks about church and us coming together and being, it is about a covenantal relationship. And so to guard the unity of this church and believe that I think that's the biggest thing that I'm supposed to guard, I want to know, like, hey, do we agree? And it's okay. It's not a requirement to go to church anywhere to be a member of a church. Any, any church says you can't come here unless you're a member, I'm going to tell you they're not a real church. Because the gospel's for everyone. The church is for everyone. We do it in such a way that we say that, you know, we want to be in agreement with one another. And that's why I do it. And I'm okay if you're like, it's not where I'm at right now. I'm okay with that. I'm not against, but I want you to understand that I believe that we're called to be in covenant with one another. That you should know what you should expect from me and what's expected of you and each other. And, and I love that when I do our discovery class and we talk about it, the, one of the first things I tell them is that, listen, I'm not just a pastor church. I'm the member of this church. This is my family. And we have to be in unity together. There are so many churches that have just kind of been flippant about this, and, and they've, they've messed it up so bad that you got people doing whatever they want, whenever they want, and you have no idea. Listen, I was at a church that once a year we just we prayed. We're like, hey, we want to all come together for vision purposes and unity purposes. We're all going to study the same thing, so we're all going in the right direction once a year. And I had people come up to me and say, I'm not doing that. I'm teaching whatever I want to teach. I'm like, well, God bless you. <laughs> I'm not going to promote your class anymore <laughs> or send anybody there. But, I mean, it was that attitude, and that church struggled with unity. I just, and I think that's what's happening to Thyatira, and that's, I think that's part of the judgment. And so understand this. I'm, I'm not pushing, like, everyone here needs to join our church. I'm not telling you that. Listen, if this church doesn't fit you, I care more about that you go to a church where God has called you and you can serve, then you're here. And if this isn't a place for you, I will help you find a place. I've lived here nearly 10 years. I know almost every pastor in town. And I will help you find a church because I think it's, it's not about my kingdom. It's not, I don't care if Grace Baptist can be 30, it can be 3,000. It doesn't matter to me because this kingdom will go away. It's God's kingdom. It's the only kingdom I care about. But I want you to know that for me personally, I'm going to guard the unity of this church because that's how everybody out there will see Jesus and know that he came. And I think it's that important. And so if you have different ideas, like I think you could do it this way, come and tell me. 
Because I don't think, I, I think that is the strategy that Jesus gave us. When, when we're unified, can, uh, just think about that for a moment. I said at the beginning, every one of us come from different backgrounds, and yet we all have common ground. You know, my Bible teacher, my Bible professor used to always say, you know, the foot of the cross is level ground. Nobody stands higher than anybody. I'm not more important than anybody in this church. I'm accountable for things I'm, uh, because of authority and stuff like that. I think I'm held more accountable for certain things, but I'm not more important. This is not the pastor. Any church that's based around a pastor is going to fail when that pastor leaves. It, it is all of us together. And so we're, we're going to guard that because I think that's a huge, huge deal in Thyatira. And I say this Jezebel or whoever she is, is causing fractures and friction. And it hurts the church. But even in that, in, in God's grace, look, look what he says. Look in verse 21. He says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent over sexual morality. Behold, I'll throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her, I'll throw into great tribulation unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. That sounds really, really harsh. And we don't like those verses in the Bible. We love the verses where God loves and Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. And that's wonderful. And God is, God is love and God is grace and God is mercy. But God can't be any of those without justice and righteousness and holiness also. It, it, it's both or it's none. And, and so there's this picture in there that even in the midst of all this chaos, he says, I'm still giving you a chance. You can turn from this. But I want to tell you something that eventually time runs out on our chances. It's the honest truth. The Bible says man is appointed once to die, then the judgment. I mean, this is why the gospel is so important to me that, man, we are doing everything we can to get it out because I don't know who has a chance tomorrow or the next day. I don't know that. And I'm not trying to guilt you or scare you. I just want you to know the reality of it, that God says you have a chance. But on the day where the Bible says that every knee bows, every tongue confesses that Jesus Christ is Lord, that day is the day too late. Because I think God is a God that says, I want you to choose to love me. And I'm giving you every opportunity to choose to love me. But if you don't, you're still going to bow to me eventually. And you're going to acknowledge me. And, and so, so her chances, it chances are out. But also those who joined her, you know, those it says that those who... Um, you know, I will strike, um, verse 22, behold, I will throw her on a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her and stuff. And we don't know if it's just, if it's symbolic that these are people that have kind of joined her and stuff like that. We don't know if this is an actual woman that's doing stuff and everything. But the fact of the matter is, is those that have joined her, you and I will never stand up before God and said, well, I did this because they told me to. See, how many of you got kids? How many of you have ever heard, well, sh but sister was doing it, so I thought it was okay. So it's her fault. Punish her, <laughs> not me. My kids, that's their logic. It still is. <laughs> Let me tell you something. We can't blame anybody. And that whole stupid saying, the devil made me do it, devil doesn't make you do anything. You choose to disobey God, and you will be held accountable to, for your disobedience. Not me, not anybody else. And so we can't, we can't blame anybody else. 
But you look at this. In the second part of verse 23, he says, And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mine and heart, and I will give each of you according to your words. If you were unsure of how important the church is to Jesus, just read that verse again. Because he says, I will make sure the churches will know that I'm the head. It's always about Jesus. It's never about anything else. Any church that is about anything other than Jesus, it ain't a church. Because he's the head. Listen, I, I've said this before. I'll keep saying it. He's the shepherd. I'm just an under-shepherd. Man, I'm just, I'm just here because he's in charge. And it is my prayer and my desire and my belief that we want to do things the way God wants us to do them every time. I want his plans because they're going to work, not my plans. I want his way. And so whether that's 30 or 3,000, whether it's staying in this building, it's moving to another building, whatever God designs for this church, it's his church. It's not mine. It says Grace Baptist out there, but it is his church. And Jesus is very serious about his church. He cares that you show up. He cares that you're involved. Nobody just goes to church and sits there. You go to church because there's a job for you to do. Everybody's got a job. Everybody's got a purpose. And let me tell you something. There's nothing better than doing what God has called you to do. You know, I, I get to do what I love to do. And it doesn't matter if I ever get paid for it or not. Don't, don't, don't write that down. But I get to do what I love to do because there's no better place than doing what God has called me to do where he's called me to do it. That's what the church should be for everybody. It really should. Uh, that's our prayer. So he gives a chance to do this. But there are those that are faithful. And God rewards faithfulness. I, I believe this with all my heart. Look at verse 24. He says, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as with er when earthen pots are broken in pieces. Even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. I, I love this, that, that God says, Jesus says, listen, I be faithful, hold fast to this, and, and all you have to do is what I've told you to do. And I think so many times we make church a lot more difficult and a lot more, and, and the Christian life a, mo a lot more complicated than it was ever meant to be. All we have to do is live the way God has called us to live, and he will add nothing more onto us. It's like the old saying, God's not like some crazy football coach that says, I want 110%. I had that football coach. I want 110% from you. And I was the smart aleck kid that says, that's mathematically impossible. <laughs> Having to go run laps, you know. <laughs> but God will never ask for more than 100%. But I believe all my heart he will not accept anything less. He's like, live the way I've told you. I'm not going to give you any added burdens. Just live according to life. That doesn't mean it's easy. That doesn't mean that everything's going to go the way we hope and dream that it's going to go. There's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. There's going to be hard times. God says, I'm never going to add to you more. Just live this life. Be holy. I'm holy. Be holy. Be set apart. 
Live according to my word. And that's all you have to do. I, I, I also love that Jesus says, and he says, and um, the one who conquers and who keeps my word until the end. I think so many times we think of Christianity as a battle. It's not a battle. If you have any military background, there's a difference between a battle and a campaign. I think Christianity is a campaign. It's a whole life event. It's everything that goes on. And there are going to be battles that you are going to win. And there are going to be battles that we're going to lose. But the war has already been won. Christian life is it's not just one battle. It's a campaign. And campaigns take time. It is your whole life. You're going to spend the rest of eternity figuring out how awesome, how mighty, how incredible God is. And it's not enough time. It is a campaign. It is, it is marching, continuing to move forward. And we, used, we had a saying in the army when things got really bad. It says, you know, you just suck it up and you drive on. Which means sometimes you just put your head down and you keep plowing forward. And I know sometimes it feels like that. I just want to encourage you to lift your head every now and then because there's someone in front of you clearing the way. His name's Jesus. But it is, it is a whole life thing. It is a life of purpose and meaning, of direction. It is your whole life. It's not just one battle. And if you have a battle and you feel like you're losing, just understand that there'll be another one. And there'll be another one. But the war is won. Because in the very, very end, it says we will rule with him. All that means is we're co-heirs with Jesus. Can you imagine that? The creator of everything, we are co-heirs with him. We get to stand at the end and say, this, this is everything that's yours is mine, Lord. Everything, it's all that. But the very, very best part, verse 29, and I will give him the morning star, which is beautiful to me because that's the term for Jesus, the morning star, the morning star, that the goal of Christianity is not heaven, it's not wealth, it's not prosperity. The goal of Christianity is Jesus, is that you and I get him forever. It doesn't matter where heaven is. Heaven can be four corners, Florida. This is, that's heaven. But if Jesus is here, it's more than we deserve. And the goal of Christianity it is, it is Jesus. It is that understanding that I am never alone. I am never without hope. I am never without purpose. I am never without meaning. I am never without love. I am never without peace. I am never without joy. I am never without anything because I have Jesus. That's the goal. That's the prize of living life this way. I, I love um, Charles Hodge said this about the church. He said, the church is everywhere represented as one. It is one body, one family, one fold, one kingdom. It is one because pervade, pervaded by one spirit. We are all baptized in one spirit so as to become, says the apostle, one body. We are together. And that old, that old, old hymn, Let's be the tie that binds our hearts in one accord. That's Jesus. We are a church. We are a people because we are tied together by Jesus. And if you don't know him today, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And you have no idea why my face is smiling and my heart is pumping like crazy. Because I get to be a part of his bride, his church, his family. Because he's my savior. And if we all live that way, it will change everything.
the gospel cannot be stopped when the church is together. When it says we will be transformed, we will be in unity, and we will be about Jesus. Nothing can stop us. This morning, I just I want to give you a chance just to respond to that. I, I don't know where you're at. I, I don't know what's going on in your life. But I do know that there's so many times we get pressure to kind of conform and to kind of fit in. And can I tell you, it's not worth it. I would rather look like a fool for Jesus than like everybody else that lives on my street. I would rather people just look at me and say, man, there's something really different about you, which I get every day, by the way. (laughs) Especially from my own family. But I would rather live that way than just try to be another fish in a pond. So wherever you're at, I I just pray that let God do his work. Don't leave here the same. Don't leave with unfinished business. It makes no sense to me. Whatever God needs to deal with, let him deal with. Whatever needs to happen in your life, let it happen. And then let's go out and be the church out there. And it will change everything. Let's pray. God, I thank you. I thank you this morning. God, I thank you that you are the author, the creator, the sustainer of your church, this church, every church. They're yours. And we get to be a part of that. We get to be members of this family together. And God, I thank you that we have brothers and sisters all over this planet. And I pray for them this morning. I pray for those that are hiding out because of persecution. I pray for those that are struggling for pastors that get up this morning and are looking out and seeing their church just dwindle and stuff. I pray for encouragement today. God, I pray for revival of your people today. I let your church your church stand tall. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here that doesn't know you, that they heard all this and says, man, I'd love to be a part of a group like that. I'd love to be a part of a family like that. Well, Jesus, it starts with you. Uh, Would you just give them the courage right now to pray a simple prayer, just to pray this. God, I know I'm a sinner. I have done things my way. And I want to do them your way from now on. Jesus, you came, you died for me. You took my penalty, and then you rose again. Forgive me, come into my life, and let me live differently. Uh, For the rest of us, God, so it's so easy so often for us just to take church for granted, to take this gathering and the life you've called us for granted. God, would you just remind us once again how awesome it is to be a part of the family. God, if there are areas where we have been conforming, God, where we have been trying to fit in, God, I pray that you would reveal those this morning. God, that you would meet us there, that you would change us, God. And that we would stand out instead of fit in. God, would you just have your way this morning? Just do a work in us this morning. And may you get all the glory and all the credit. God, move now.